the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Marriage is a journey of faith. It truly is. Faith, it's about trust, it's about commitment, it's about perseverance, it's about prayer, it's about waiting on God. It is a journey of faith. And faith should always be in charge of feelings, not the other way around. Because there will be times you don't feel very happy in your marriage. But it's in those times we walk by faith, not by sight. This is about faith, this is a journey of faith. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. Most of us have had the bad habit of allowing our feelings to lead us. If we feel good, all is well, and we must be on the right track. If we feel bad, then doubt begins to creep in, and we can foolishly start to take desperate measures. We want to feel good again, so we throw caution to the wind. And worse yet, we decide our faith isn't working for us. Today, Pastor Gary gives us several character traits from the life of Rebecca that prepared her for God's plan. If she had allowed fear of the unknown to overshadow her faith, she would have missed a lifelong blessing. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message entitled, A Wedding Story. What I am saying is for those of you who are Christians, don't think to yourself with intention, I'm going to marry a non-Christian because I'm just going to change them. How many times, I can't tell you how many people have been on the couch in my office, I thought I could change this person. It didn't work out, did it? So here's a little bit of advice. Whoever the person is single, they're going to be that and much more married. They just will. There's a sister here on the third row. Amen. That's just the way it's going to be. Don't make the exception the new model, okay? I know there's this guy I just read about in the newspaper. He just got... He just got approval by the Parks and Recs of Niagara Falls. This summer, he's going to stretch an 1,800-foot cable over Niagara Falls, two-inch cable. He's going to walk on it. He's going to walk on it across. I hope it goes well for him. I hope it all works out. I just would never recommend it, okay? So when it comes to Christians marrying non-Christians, don't look at the exception and say, well, it all worked out. It is never to be recommended because the Bible makes it clear. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Some of you are thinking, oh no, this is that verse about yoking. Really? Yeah, I'm not yoking. Listen, 2 
2 Corinthians 6.14, this is what it says. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Marriage is a yoking. It is the union of two into one flesh. So be selective. Be particular. Don't settle for anyone less than God's best. Commit to only dating or courting and marrying a Christian if you're a Christian. That's the first thing. Abraham says, no Canaanites. Some of you are thinking, I kind of like the Canaanites I work with. Some of the Canaanites I know are hot. So is hell, all right? Get over it. Get over it and get the biblical view on this. Here's the second thing. (laughs) Here's the second thing. The second thing is, Abraham says, all right, now, Eleazar, when you go over to Babylonia and you get a woman who is a more godly woman, do not let Isaac go with you. I do not want Isaac leaving here. And here's the deal. Because when you look between verses 3 and 5, there in chapter 24, Abraham is stressing the land. He says, God swore on oath to me that this land belongs to me and to my descendants. Now, what's Abraham thinking? What he's thinking is, and he's wise about this, If Isaac goes back to Babylonia from where Abraham came, he's liable to stay there. He's liable to stay there. And Abraham says, listen, this is the land that God has sworn to me on oath. This is the covenant he made with me. Isaac is not to relinquish the will of God in desperation for a wife. Are you hearing me? There are people who are not thinking clearly about the lengths that they are going to to find a spouse. And the advice that Abraham is giving us through this passage here is basically this. Keep yourself in God's will and trust Him to bring you a spouse. You know what's interesting about this passage? Eliezer is the name of the servant. His name translates in the Hebrew, God is comforter, God is helper. Who in the Bible is the God who comforts? Who is the God who helps? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the comforter in the New Testament. The word is perikletos, the one who comes alongside. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. You know what, in essence, we are reading here? What we're being told is, do not relinquish the will of God. Do not step out of where God has you. It is His will. Do not compromise your standards. Do not lower your integrity. But you be a man or a woman of integrity who follows after the heart of God. Stay in the will of God and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring to you the spouse that God wants you to have. Now, that doesn't mean stay at home, read a book, and don't go anywhere. And think that they're just going to knock on your door. I said this a couple of weeks ago. But it means don't relinquish the will of God. Stay true to your convictions. Don't compromise. Wait on the Lord. Trust that the Holy Spirit will bring that person along your path, but you never step out of the will of God to go find a spouse. That is the warning of Abraham for his son. That's a good word from Scripture to us. So, as the story goes, Eleazar, the servant of Abraham, he goes some 500 miles from where Abraham is in Israel in the Promised Land back to Babylonia, which is modern Iraq, there in the region of Mesopotamia, to find a wife. And the Bible says here that he, that he travels with an entourage of people. There's at least several who are with him because verse 10 says that he's traveling with 10 camels. And when he gets there to this homeland of Abraham, notice the first thing that he does. The first thing that the servant does when he gets here to this land, when he's looking for this wife for Isaac, is he stops and he prays. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. 
and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Notice that. Verse 12, then he prayed. He prayed. It's a single word, but it's an important point. Pray. You want to get married? Pray. And it's pray with an A. Not with an E. Don't go praying on people. I want want somebody to marry. Pray. Just pray with an A. And be specific. God loves specific prayers here. I love the way that that Eliezer is specific here. I mean, he kind of throws out this fleece to God. He says, all right, Lord, here's what I'm going to ask. So that I know that this is the right woman. This is what I'm going to ask you, Lord. I'm going to ask you that when I ask her for a drink, she's going to lower her jar and she's going to give me a drink. That's number one. And number two, I'm going to ask that in addition, she'll volunteer to water all my camels. That's what I'm asking, Lord. And he's very specific here. Now, that's good. Be specific. Be specific. But please notice, it's only two things that he's asking. Okay? I run into some single people who are Christians and they're like, I've just been praying and praying and praying and nobody's coming my way. Well, all right, tell me a little bit about what you're praying for. And they unroll this list, you know, down to the floor. And like, this is who I'm praying for. I'm hoping that God's going to bring me this perfect person. I know it's a little long. She's going to stand on her head, spit up nickels and speak Mandarin Chinese and a bunch of other stuff. You know, maybe just shorten your list a little bit, just a wee bit shorter I mean, because I know God can do anything. I believe that for sure. But let's be reasonable. Let's not put God in a box. I mean, I love to go fishing, right? There are times I throw, a, I throw it out there, and, I, and I'm praying, Lord, okay, I'd love a seven-pound bass to be on the end of this reel. Okay, I prayed that. But I, I don't think it would be reasonable for me to pray, Lord, I want a seven-pound bass. I want it filleted. I want it rubbed down with Italian breadcrumbs on a frying pan. <laughs> it probably won't happen. Just keep it simple, but be specific. God does like specific prayers. Be specific. It's okay to be specific. My wife prays with specificity. She is a model of someone who prays, and she's very specific. And I love the. I just love to stand back, because I don't have the kind of face she does like that. And I love to stand back, and I just watch the way things happen. So when I first started the church here, we probably were only a year old into the church. We only had one of our three kids. Tyler was just a, like a year. And... Uh, We had one car. We needed a second car. And Terry's like, I'm just going to pray for a second car. Like, all right. That's that's great, sweetheart. Just pray for a second car. She goes, I am. And I'm going to (laughs) pray. She loves it when I do this. And she said, I'm going to pray that the car God brings is going to be just like my friend's. Now, her friend, I mean, this is like 1991, okay? And her friend had a Chevy Cavalier. It was a nice car, it was a, and it was a two-door. But here's Terry. She was specific. She's like, I want a car just like my friend's, but I want a four-door because we have kids now. That's my prayer, okay? <laughs> she prays this prayer. Within about a month, I get a phone call. I get a phone call. It's a lady in our church. She says, hey, Pastor Gary, hey, the Lord put it on her heart that me and my husband just want to give you a car. She says, you know, it's not brand new. It's just a couple years old, but it runs real well. It looks nice. Would you like to have it? I'm like, yeah, beggars aren't choosy. Sure. And so I went home. I said, Terry, we're going to hop in the car. We're going to drive. It was past Round Hill. We're going to go out. They live in a farm. They're going to give us this car. And it was wonderful. And so we pile in the car. And as we drive up, don't you know? (laughs) 
It was the model, the make, the year, and a four-door of what her friend had. It was, and Terry's like, yes, oh, Jesus. And I'm thinking, why didn't you have faith for a Porsche? So I'm just thinking, oh, that's right, I'm a pastor. I couldn't drive a Porsche anyway. Can I be Creflo Dollar just for a day? I don't know. So pray with specificity. I mean, God honors specific prayers, but maybe just make sure the list is reasonable, right? Okay. Now, notice verse 15. Verse 15. Before he had finished praying, he's praying about this. Before he finished praying, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. So she is Abraham's great niece. And the girl, notice verse 16, was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. Now, the Bible tells us here two things about Rebecca in verse 16. It tells us something physically. It says she was very beautiful. It tells us something morally. She was pure. Physically and morally. She was beautiful and she was pure. She was a virgin in this story. Now, this almost seems like a pointless point to put up because it's a no-brainer, but I'm going I'm to put it up here anyway, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, number four, be physically attracted to him or her, okay? There's a reason why God tells us that she's beautiful, because he is knowing that Isaac will be physically attracted to her. You say, well, why? This, that's kind of a no-brainer. Shouldn't you be attracted to some? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many Christians just kind of love to over-spiritualize some things. I've had actually Christians ask me, should I be attracted to this person? I'm wanting to marry them. Should I be attracted to this person? Well, let me stop and think. Yes! Yes, you should be attracted to them. You're going to wake up with them every day. It should be easy on the eyes. You should be attracted to them physically. But here's the deal. A lot of Christians will say this. I've heard them. They will say, wait a minute. The Christian way to think is... You should be attracted to the heart. The heart's all that matters. It's the inside. It's all that matters. That's not the Christian way to think. That's a stupid way to think. Stop that. You should only be attracted to their heart. No, you should also be attracted to them physically. Now, listen, don't any of you bolt on me and say, you're being disingenuous. You're not being nice, Pastor Gary. What about the people who are a little beautifully challenged? I'm not being mean, because here's the truth. The idiom is true, and I mean this. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. There really are no ugly people. Everybody is beautiful to somebody, in case you haven't noticed that, right? Because everybody's standards are a little different. You, you've gone to certain places. You know, you've looked at couples together, and you've been like, hmm. How? But what the deal is with that is, it's just your own subjective opinion. But to the other person, to the two of them, they think each other's beautiful because that's the way God has made us. God has made us to behold the beauty in another. There are no ugly people, sincerely. It is just that every single person is beautiful to somebody. And that's the truth. And so listen, beauty is important in the sense that you should find that person beautiful or handsome. You should be attracted to that person. But let me hasten to add two caveats. Number one. Attractiveness is not the primary thing. It's not the primary thing. And guys, particularly listen to me, because we're more shallow than the ladies. It should not be the only thing. 
It should not be the only thing. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Amen? But it's not only being attracted to the other person physically. The other issue is what is going on inside. You should be attracted to him or her morally. In other words, their character. You should be attracted to their character. And in this story, there's three things that stand out to me about Rebecca's character. Her purity, her humility, and her modesty. Now, the first thing we read here is about her character is that Rebecca is a virgin. So God is highlighting her moral character. And let me just say, to those of you who are single and never married, if you're a virgin, forget what the world says in mocking you. You hold on to your virginity. It is a cherished virtue that you will be able to present as a sacred gift, the honor of that wedding day when you present your virginity to your spouse. Do not look down on yourself or have other people shame you in any way because you have held on to your integrity and you have preserved your virginity for that day that may come when God brings you that spouse. Cherish it. It is a wonderful virtue. Having said that, obviously there are those who have lost your virginity. I do not want you to think of yourself as damaged goods. Because the fact is that the Bible is a story about grace and it's about redemption. You may have given your virginity away and now you wish you could get it back. The fact is God still restores lives. He cannot restore your virginity physically, obviously. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So now from this point forward... You make a decision to live a life of purity and holiness so that on that day, if you should get married, you offer your purity in Christ to the one that you marry. But it's a virtue. Purity is important for character. Number two, we see humility in this story. Notice she does fulfill the two requests that Eleazar has. He says, Lord, he kind of throws out this fleece. Lord, when I see a girl who has a water jar, I'm going to ask her for a drink. If she gives me a drink, and then if she volunteers to water my camels, this is going to be the one. That's what he asked. She does both. She fulfills both. She lowers the water jar. She gives him a drink. But I want you to notice her humility in this story. It is no small thing to volunteer to water his camels because the Bible says in verse 10 that he has 10 camels. And it tells us in verse 19 that she waters them until they have finished drinking. Let me tell you something about camels. I've ridden a few. (laughs) A camel can drink anywhere from 20 to 40 gallons of water in a single sitting. Do the math. Conservatively, if each camel drank only 20 gallons, she's hauling 200 gallons of water. You talk about a servant's heart? Now, I could have made it another point which would be buff. But I, I have to imagine she was ripped. I mean, holy smokes, you're, you're hauling 200 gallons of water and you're not going to finish until they have finished drinking. That's what she does. But, it, but seriously, it's a statement of her, humi- of her humility because she's doing the math. She could have walked away. Well, I'll give you a little drink. Ah, I just don't have time to water all your camels. Sorry. But she knows this is going to take... This is a labor of love, sacrifice, and time, and she still does it because she has a servant heart of humility. Now, the third thing we see about her character is modesty. If you'll notice at the end of the story in verse 65, it says that when she saw Isaac, whom she had never met, she asked who he was, and Eleazar said, well, this is my master, this is the son of my master. Isaac is also considered his master as well. 
And it says in verse 65 that she took her veil and covered herself. Now, it doesn't say she covered her face. No translation says that she covered her face. In that ancient culture, Jewish women would not cover their faces. They would cover their heads with a veil or a scarf, simply and purely as a sign of modesty. Now, here's the point. Translate this into our own culture. We know, we all know, we live in a culture that bombards us with sensuality and sexuality. Everywhere we go, billboards, magazines, television, newspapers, it's all about sensuality and sexuality. Most people know the difference between dressing modestly and dressing seductively. And the people who choose to dress seductively are simply choosing to do it to draw attention to themselves. That's the only reason. And may I just simply say to you, and I I want to be charitable in saying this, but it's my opinion, and I think many of you would agree, people that you notice who intentionally dress seductively, to me, it screams desperation. You might be able to dress like that and turn heads, but you will never turn hearts. It's just a sign of desperation. Now, look, I'm, I'm not saying, oh, no, here's the modesty point. He wants us all to dress like we stepped out of a scene of Little House in the Prairie. It's not what I'm saying, okay? You don't need to look like Laura Ingalls, okay? You don't need to, oh, no. He, what he wants is us to trade in everything for a bonnet and a, and a horse and buggy. That's not what I'm suggesting. You can be modern and modest. You have to work on it, but you have to be modest, and you can still be modern. You know, the reality is, if you just pray, if you and I would just pray before we leave the house and ask the Lord, you know, is this pleasing to you? Do I look modest? Is the way that I'm coming across, is it seductive? Is it intentionally drawing attention? Or is it just wanting to, you know, be modern, but, but still to be decent and, and pleasing to you? Ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you. And by the way, sometimes the Holy Spirit sounds exactly like your dad. <laughs> Eleazar goes to her home. He explains all this to her family. Her family basically says, okay, great, this must be the Lord's will. Take her with you. They do ask in verse 55 for 10 more days. Eleazar says, please don't delay me. I know this is the will of God. I want to go now. They say, well, let's go ahead and ask her. By the way, if you know a person is the will of God, marry. Don't waste any time. Because the longer you pull out engagements, then there's just more room for temptation. If you really know this is the will of God, Eliezer knew. He's like, no, no, no. The Lord answered my prayer specifically. This is the girl. She matches everything. The Lord has borne witness to this. You know it's the Lord's will too. Can we just go? Don't delay. They say, well, let's go ahead and ask her. She answers in verse 58, three words. I will go. And I love that about Rebecca because, listen, that's a statement of faith. Think about it. She's going with a man that she only met the day before, never met him before. She's going to a land she's never been to. She's going to marry a man she's never seen. And she says, I will go. It's a beautiful statement of faith because marriage is a journey of faith. It truly is. Faith, it's about trust, it's about commitment, it's about perseverance, it's about prayer, it's about waiting on God. It is a journey of faith. And faith should always be in charge of feelings, not the other way around. Because there will be times you don't feel very happy in your marriage. But it's in those times we walk by faith, not by sight. This is about faith, this is a journey of faith. I remember hearing a quote one time by now gone on to be with the Lord, Ruth Graham, the deceased wife of Billy Graham. 
married for, I don't know, like over 60 years, and she was asked one time in an interview, did you ever, in the course of your marriage to Billy Graham, consider divorce? She said, divorce, no. Murder, yes. (laughs) There'll be times you don't feel very happy in the whole thing, but it's a journey of faith. Listen to me. Marriage is not just about choosing to marry the person you love. It's also about choosing to love the person you marry. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection, the teaching ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. To learn more about this radio ministry, please visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc where you can download today's teaching or subscribe to our podcast. At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you'll also find information about all of our ministries, links to our Facebook page, Twitter feed, and more. We can be reached via email at info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's info at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can give us a call at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. When you contact us, please let us know how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. On the next edition of Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary will continue taking us through the book of Genesis. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.